Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you, to those here in the sanctuary, and to those who are joining us online, either at this time or later in the day or the week. The grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Let us worship God. We sing the hymn 129, hymn 129, The Lord is King, lift up your voice. call to prayer comes from Psalm 22. Let all the ends of the earth remember and turn again to the Lord. Let all the families of the nations bow before Him. Let us pray. Gracious God, we have come together this new morning to give you thanks for your kindness to us and for your love which is unfailing. We are amazed that you are mindful of us, and we marvel that though you are the maker of heaven and earth, you stretch out your mighty hand to hold and to save us. Lord God, you led your people through the desert, 
and were with Jesus in the wilderness. We praise you for your promise to be with us in every circumstance, and we thank you for the comfort and strength this gives to us. Almighty God, though we have done nothing to earn it, you are gracious and merciful in your dealings with us. Forgive us for those times when we have taken you for granted. Forgive us for the times when we have hurt others through what we have said or done or failed to say or do. Eternal God in Jesus, you call upon us to deny ourselves and take up our cross. Open our eyes that we may recognize more clearly the true cost of discipleship. And as we seek to follow the one crucified, help us to understand more fully what you would have us do, how we should live, and where you would have us go. Lord God, we are privileged to be part of your church on earth, and great will be our reward for serving you. As we thank you for stories of faith passed from one generation to another, encourage and inspire us, and may the worship we now offer gladden your heart and bring you glory, honour and praise. These things we humbly ask through Jesus Christ our Lord, and together as the one people we say the prayer he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. The Tuesday group, which is open to men and women, will meet in the parish halls this coming Tuesday at two o'clock. Don't let the fact that I'll be addressing the group put you off coming along. You'll be most welcome. There'll be services in Eccles Court and Westlands on Wednesday afternoon, two o'clock in Eccles Court, three o'clock at Westerlands, and we send our good wishes to those who live in Eccles Court and the residents of Westerlands Care Home. We also remember the residents of Rose Lee Court Care Home who join us in worship every Sunday. We continue the series of Bible studies for Lent on Thursday at seven o'clock here in the church. Everyone will be most welcome. The final soup and sandwich lunch of the session will be held this coming Saturday in the hall from 12 noon until 1.30, so please do come along if you can. The lunches have been very well supported, thank you for that, and thank you to those who prepare and serve the lunches and to those who set up the tables and chairs before and afterwards. Thank you very much indeed. 
The sacrament of Holy Communion will be celebrated a fortnight today. That is Sunday the 10th of March. And finally, district elders are asked to note that the spring edition of the parishioner is now available for distribution. Isn't it lovely to think that we're heading into the spring? And lovely, as some of you were saying to me earlier, to hear the birds singing in the morning. I was listening earlier to a blackbird that couldn't have been far away from, from the study window, and it was just a joy to listen to it. Friends, as you know, we are now in the season of Lent. Lent is that time in the Christian year when we reflect on the events leading to the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Saviour. Now, if you think of the word Lent, there are four letters, L, E, N, and T. And there's two words in particular that I would like us to focus on briefly at this point in the service. Two words that we can make up out of these four letters that make up the word Lent. Anyone guess? L-E-N-T. Are there any words at all that come to your mind? It's maybe not so easy when you're not able to see the letters, is it? So if you think of L-E-N and T, they don't need to, the words that I've got in mind, um, they don't need to have uh, four letters. Nate. Excellent. Nate. We'll come to that one because that's one of the words. But there's another word. Lent. Yes. Ten. Well done. These are the two words. Ten. What do you think the ten might remind us of? The Ten Commandments. Absolutely. The Ten Commandments, we read about these in the, the Old Testament, where God gave these Ten Commandments, setting out a way in which we are to live. And that's something we're to think about during this season of Lent. It's to reflect on how we live our lives and to ask ourselves, are we living our lives in the way that God has set out for us in the Bible and in these Ten Commandments? Now, the other word, as Pamela said, is nate. And why do you think that might be relevant in this season of Lent? Any guesses? Where do we read about net or nets? The fishermen. Well done, Rod. And, you see, 
the first followers of Jesus, well, a number of them, were fishermen. And when Jesus appeared, he invited them to follow him. But that meant they had to set aside their net. They had to leave certain things behind. Today, Jesus still calls boys and girls and men and women to follow him. He calls you and he calls me. And as we respond to that call, let us take time to reflect on how we are living our lives, the things that we say, the things that we do. And let us also, like those first followers, reflect on what we might have to set aside and leave behind as we take up our cross and follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're going to sing hymn 204. Now, you'll be delighted to know there are actions with this hymn. I know that you all like actions. <laughs> you don't need to join in if you don't want to, but uh, I'm trying to keep them quite simple here. So, it's the hymn 204, I am the church, you are the church. Lovely, lovely words. So, when it's I am the church, we can just put our thumb pointing to ourself, okay? You are the church, we can point to someone else. I know it's not nice to point, but it's all right within the context of worship here in the church. So, I am the church, thumb to self, you are the church, point out, we are the church together. You can either hold hands with the person next to you, or just, as I'll do up here, put my hands to the side. We are the church together. All who follow Jesus, hands out in front, all around the world, circle your arms up over your head. We are the church together. Again, reach out to someone or put your hands to the side. I'm sure you've got that okay. <laughs> well, give it a go anyway. Tony, take it away.
Well done. The readings this morning are taken from Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 25, and Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38, and these readings will be found on page 135 and page 37 of the Pew Bible. So Romans chapter 4, verses 13 to 25. <clears throat> it was not through law that Abraham and his descendants were given the promise that the world should be their inheritance, but through righteousness that came from faith. If the heirs that are those who hold by the law, then faith becomes pointless and the promise goes for nothing. Law can bring only retribution, and where there is no law, there can be no breach of law. The promise was made on the ground of faith in order that it might be a matter of sheer grace and that it might be valid for all Abraham's descendants, not only for those who hold by the law, but also for those who have Abraham's faith. For he is father of us all, as scripture says, I have appointed you to be father of many nations. In the presence of God, the God who makes the dead live and calls into being things that are not, Abraham had faith. When hope seemed hopeless, his faith was such that he became father of many nations and fulfillments of the promise. So shall your descendants be. His faith did not weaken when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, for he was about a hundred years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him doubt God's promise, but strong in faith, he gave glory to God, convinced that he had was promised what he was able to do. And that is why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. The words counted to him were meant to apply not only to Abraham, but to us. Our faith too is to be counted, the faith in the God who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, for he was given up to death for our misdeeds and was raised to life for our justification. And the second reading is from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38, on page 37. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man had to endure great suffering and to be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, to be put to death and to rise again three days afterwards. He spoke about it plainly. At this, Peter took hold of him and began to rebuke him. But Jesus, turning and looking at his disciples, rebuked Peter. Out of my sight, Satan, he said, you think as men think, not as God thinks. Then he called the people to him, as well as his disciples, and he said to them, anyone who wants to be a follower of mine must renounce self. He must take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the Gospels will save it. What does anyone gain by winning the whole world at the cost of his life? What can he buy to buy his life back? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this wicked and godless age, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. May God add his blessing to his reading of his holy word. Thank you, Callum. We sing the hymn 645, 645, 
I'm not ashamed to own my Lord or to defend his cause. Let us pray. God of life and all things living, we thank you for your love which binds us together as we seek to follow Jesus. With the strength he can give, may we be able to deny ourselves and humbly walk in the path he has set before us. Lord Jesus, we remember that you were moved to tears by the needs of others. We pray for victims of injustice and prejudice, and for those taunted or slandered because of their beliefs, the color of their skin, their sexuality, or their social standing. Help us all, O God, to be more tolerant and kind. Father, you call upon us to live in love and unity. Though we so often go against your will, we thank you that you do not give up on us, but continually prompt and encourage us by the example of Jesus, who even in the face of mockery, betrayal and denial, kept steadfastly to the path set before him. Lord Jesus, with your touch, you healed the sick and restored sight to the blind. We pray for loved ones who are ill at this time, for those who are receiving treatment and those recovering from surgery. We pray for those in our fellowship 
whose health is failing as they age. And we pray for those who are sad, remembering as we do the families and friends of John Graham and Stuart Morris. Be to them and all in our thoughts a source of comfort and of peace. God of life and all things living, as we thank you for the example of Abraham and his faith in you, and for those saints who waited in patience for your promises to come to pass, bless us as members of your worldwide church, and grant that as we take up our cross, we may be bold in our faith and be brought nearer to you, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. These things we humbly ask and pray through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Saviour. Amen. We sing the hymn 397, hymn 397, in the cross of Christ I glory towering o'er the wrecks of time.
It is said of some people that they do not have a filter. They say exactly what is on their mind. Perhaps we can think of people we know who are like that. It can be amusing, but sometimes it can be anything but. I wonder if Peter, Jesus' friend and follower, could be described as not having a filter. He certainly seems to say what is on his mind. And there's evidence of that in the passage that Callum read to us, where Peter rebukes Jesus after he spoke about his impending suffering and death. What exactly Peter said to Jesus, we do not know. But we're told he rebuked Jesus. And that's enough. He didn't like what Jesus had said. And he told him so in no uncertain terms. I wonder if we had been there when Jesus spoke about his suffering and death something that none of us want to think about, what would we have done? Would we have been like Peter and spoken of? Or would we have been like the others who perhaps agreed with Peter, but who remained silent? It's a difficult question to answer, isn't it? I can understand Peter's point of view. Jesus was his friend. The thought of him suffering and dying would have grieved him greatly and just been something that he did not want to contemplate or think about at all. And we can be like that. However, it was the same Peter who, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say I am, had answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. My friends, Peter had caught a glimpse of the truth. He had earned himself a gold star. So how could he rebuke Jesus in the way that he did? Can I suggest that the answer lies in Peter's understanding of what the Messiah would do. 
And in that, his understanding differed greatly from the Messiah Jesus was. And this was a hard lesson to learn. It was a bitter pill to swallow. And it became harder and more bitter when Jesus addressed not only the disciples but the people and said, Anyone who wants to be a follower of mine must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What a lesson in discipleship. This has been termed one of the hard sayings of Jesus. We often think of Jesus gentle, meek, and mild. But here, he is in defiant mode. There are no ifs. There are no buts. Jesus laid it on the line and made it clear what following him entails. My friends, this was a big moment for Peter and the others. Think about where they were coming from. They had spent time with Jesus, almost three years by this point. They had watched him perform miracles and attract people with his magnetic personality. They were human. They thought they were on to a good thing. They saw great possibilities ahead. Life, until now, had been a wonderful adventure with Jesus. And therefore, talk of him suffering and dying. It came like a bolt out of the blue. It was an enormous shock to them. It was the last thing they expected to hear Jesus say. You see, they expected a Messiah who would lead the charge against the Romans and put these rascals in their place. They expected a Messiah who would remove all obstacles from their path and exalt them, the disciples, to positions of honor and authority. And what did they get? A Messiah who spoke about loving others and forgiving one's enemies. A Messiah who thought nothing of 
stooping low and washing the disciples' feet. A Messiah who foretold his death at the hands of those he was meant in the eyes of some to overthrow. A Messiah who warned them of troubles ahead. It's easy for us to be critical of Peter and the other disciples. How could they have gotten it so wrong, we might ask? But is there not a sense in which we can identify with them? Would we not prefer a gospel that promises success? Are there not times when we feel like rebuking Jesus as Peter did when he fails to meet our expectations? Are there not times when, like the disciples, we wish he was a different kind of Messiah? When something goes wrong, don't we want Jesus just to click his finger and make everything all right? When illness strikes, and strikes it does, do we not want Jesus to intervene and bring healing there and then? When we say something that causes hurt or pain, do we not wish that Jesus would turn the clock back or at least erase what we said from the minds of those we offended? And do we not wonder if Jesus could calm the storm at sea, surely he could calm the storms of our world at this time. And yet they rage on violence and war and poverty. It's understandable and human to think like that. But that's not how things are. And that lesson the disciples had to learn, that pill they had to swallow. Following Jesus does not make life easy. It can at times make it hard, and Jesus made that clear. It has been said, the honesty of great leaders has always been one of their characteristics. I think that's true. In the days of the Second World War, when Winston Churchill 
took over the leadership of the country. Do you remember, all that he offered was blood and toil and tears and sweat. He was honest with the people. And so is Jesus. He does not seek to lure people by the offer of an easy way. He endeavors to challenge us. And that we see in his teaching today. We are to deny ourselves. What does that mean? It's not a contrived kind of humility. Someone put put it like this. It means saying no to self and yes to Christ. It means, among other things, using the gifts and talents that we have been given, not for our good alone, but for the good of the church, the body of Christ, and of other people. Now, in many respects, this goes against the grain. The default setting in so many people today is to think only of self. To put self first, second, and third, and to point with others. But Jesus says, we are to deny ourselves. And he went on, we are to take up our cross. This is not some half-hearted form of commitment. I'll follow when it suits me. I'll follow when all is well. But when the storm clouds gather, I'll not be anywhere to be seen. No, that's not what Jesus looks for. He wants us to be willing to sacrifice our own personal ambitions, dreams, and expectations for His sake, for the one who gave up everything, even His life for us. Someone put it like this, following Jesus involves self-denial and self-surrender. Perhaps we can now better understand Peter's rebuke of Jesus. For Jesus' teaching ran counter to everything that he and the other disciples had believed and expected. There was a lot to take in. There was a mindset that had to be changed. The mountaintop experience. At that point, Jesus was transfigured. His face and clothes became dazzlingly bright. Yes, that Peter and the others could take. They enjoyed that moment. But talk of suffering and death, this was not what they had signed up to. This was not what the disciples had envisaged when three years earlier 
they began following Jesus. We also read today Paul's letter to the Romans. And in that letter we find him commending Abraham for his faith. A faith that enabled him to take God at his word and to believe that what God said would come to pass. Do you remember what Paul had to say? When hope seemed hopeless, Abraham's faith was such, he became father of many nations in fulfillment of the promise. No distrust made him doubt God's promise. But strong in faith, he gave glory to God, convinced that what he had promised, he was able to do. As the disciples learned what following Jesus really entailed, they must for a time have wondered if it had all been worth it. Might it have been better if they had remained at home doing what they knew best in the case of some casting their nets into the sea? What had it all been about? And perhaps we wonder too, as we look at the decline in attendance at worship throughout the land, though I'm heartened by the attendance here today, as buildings are closed and people turn elsewhere for meaning and direction and fulfillment, might we also wonder, what's it all been about? And might we be tempted to think the cause is no longer worth fighting for? My friends, at such a time as this, let us take heart from the example of Abraham. No matter what obstacle he faced, no matter what trial he endured, he persevered. He took hold of the promise God had made to him and keeping the faith, he gave glory to God for he knew that what God had promised he was able to do and he did it. The promise was fulfilled. The way ahead would be difficult for the disciples. But such was the faith they came to have all apart from Judas would through their lives and deaths testify to the life and death of Jesus. And what is more, they would go on to witness to his resurrection. And because of them, we are here today. Because of them and faithful people down through the long years, there is a church, a church of which we are a part, and a church in which we have a role to play as denying ourselves and taking up our cross. 
we seek to follow in the footsteps of the one who said to Peter, yes, to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Let us take a moment in the quiet to reflect on our own discipleship. Amen. The closing hymn, a great hymn, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart, hymn 465.
Go in the peace of God. Go in the love of Christ. Go in the power of the Spirit and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you now and forevermore.